This morning our scripture reading is coming from John 17. We'll actually be reading the entire chapter. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer on the night before he was betrayed and went to the cross. Part of the reason I'm reading this is because Jesus prays for the unity of his people. And that's going to be a part of the theme of the sermon from Colossians this morning. So we're going to start in verse 1 and read to the end of the chapter. John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. As we prepare to hear from God, let's ask for his blessing on his word. Let's pray together. Lord God, your word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is powerful to save. It is powerful to transform us 
And we pray that you would use your spirit now to take your word and to be at work in our hearts. Each one of us needs to hear from you today. Each one of us needs to be changed by your spirit. And we pray that you would accomplish those purposes because they bring glory to you. And those are things that are good for us. And we pray that you would do this because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. This morning, the sermon comes from Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. It's Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. This morning marks the end of our series in Colossians. We've come to the very end of the letter together. I'm going to read this whole Last section, all hangs together as as Paul gives greetings to the Colossians. I'm going to start in verse 7. Tychius will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I've had this happen a few times recently, maybe even more since I've been ordained. Someone knows that I'm I'm preaching at another church. Or I'm going to see a mutual friend and they say, oh, say hi to so-and-so for me. Or if they're, or if they're being really formal that day, they'll say, give them my greetings. Um, our passage today made me, made me think about that. Made me think about those kinds of greetings. Because as you read these verses, you just heard them. So many people are greeting the Colossians. There's a real love being shown for the Colossian church. Now in the church, those simple-sounding greetings that we often say, they should have a lot more meaning. They really should have more meaning because of the deep, abiding love that we have for one another as believers. The Apostle John says it very clearly. He says, we love because God first loved us. And our passage this morning demonstrates what John says. Now, the main idea that we see here is that our love and concern for other believers comes because of the love God has for us and produces in us. Again, our love and concern for other believers 
comes because of the love God has for us and actually produces in us as well. Even as you, as you think about our love and concern for others, um, we don't always show that very well, do we, though? Uh, we don't show the love and concern that we're called to for believers in our own local church. And we also fall short in showing that kind of love and concern for other believers and other churches as well. Uh, we need to begin looking at this passage actually by acknowledging our sins and our shortcomings. We need, to, we need to know where we've fallen short of what God has called us to do and repent of our sins of not loving Christ's body the way that Christ does. Maybe you can think of examples in your own life right now. And if not, go home and think about that. But the key here, the key in, the key in this passage, is that we actually can love like Christ. We can love Christ's body like Christ does because of what he's done in us. In this passage, we see what is possible with God's help. Now, that Christian love and concern is shown in three basic ways in this passage. We see it in the messengers in verses 7 to 9. We see it in the greetings in verses 10 to 17. And we see it in Paul's closing in verse 18. Let's look first then at the messengers. What do they show us about the love and the concern that we have for other believers? Well, Paul begins this section by introducing his two messengers. There's Tychius and there's Onesimus. These are the men who brought this letter to the Colossian church. But they were much more than just mailmen, right? As Paul says in verse 8, He has sent Tychius to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. The mission of Tychius and Onesimus is to encourage the Colossians by telling them about Paul. Now, Paul knows that the Colossians care greatly about him. They're concerned about him, and they want to know how he's doing. But the encouragement that Tychius is going to bring is also a whole lot deeper, because he is going to report on God's work how God is sustaining Paul in prison, how God is continuing to work through Paul, even in jail. Remember last week we saw in verses 3 to 4 that Paul prayed for God-given opportunities to preach the gospel in prison. Antichius and Onesimus, when they come, they're going to encourage the Colossians by showing how that has actually already happened, how the gospel is continuing to spread through Paul and through others. This news that these men are bringing to the Colossians will help these Colossians pray for and give thanks for Paul and for God's work. Do you remember how this letter opened? Do you remember the opening verses of Paul? Paul gives thanks and praise for the Colossians because of what he has heard about them. Well, now the Colossians have their very own chance to thank God and pray for his ongoing work in Paul. It's like mirror images of each other. Paul gave thanks for them. Now they're going to give thanks for him. But that actually shows us something that should be true in our own life. When we hear reports from our missionaries, for instance, when we're reading the, the telenews that I send out, or we hear about how other churches are doing or other believers, it is tempting for us just to read these things or hear these things just kind of file them away. That was good information. 
That is not how we should respond. The pattern we see here in the life of Paul and the life of Colossians is to turn these reports into prayer and praise. Because when we do that, we're actually recognizing what is happening. God is the one at work in each one of these situations. So that's what the Colossians are going to do with this information. Now, if you think about the mission that Paul has given these two men, this is a very important mission. They are representing Paul himself to this, this church that is very, very distant from where Paul is. And for such an important mission, Tychius makes a lot of sense. Paul calls him a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Those, those three descriptions are really high praise for Tychius. He has faithfully served God just like Paul. And if we look through the rest of the New Testament, we see Tychius on many different occasions. We see him going with Paul to Jerusalem on his last trip in Acts chapter 20. Also, Paul sends him to Crete to support Titus. We see that in the book of Titus. And also, he goes to Ephesus. So, Tychius is a trusted pastor and messenger for Paul. Tychius' proven character and faithful work makes the presence of Onesimus all the more amazing. Because the last time that the Colossians had seen Onesimus was right before he ran away. Onesimus is an escaped slave from Colossae. (laughs) And to make the situation even worse, think about this. The Colossian church met in the home of Onesimus' master Philemon. Can you imagine the shock of the Colossian church to see Onesimus walk through the front door again? And not just to come back, but to show up with one of the most respected pastors around, Tychius, and to come with a letter from the Apostle Paul and Paul's own glowing recommendation of him and with the job to tell them how Paul is doing. Can you imagine the shock of that to the Colossian church? Things must have radically changed in the life of Onesimus. As we see in verse 9 in the book of Philemon, Onesimus is a changed man because he has turned to Christ. He repented of his sins. He believed in Jesus Christ. And that new faith, made him come back to his master Philemon and to his new brothers and sisters in the Colossian church. Onesimus's return is really repentance in action in the most public way possible. Isn't his presence in this letter so encouraging? We're, we're talking about love and concern for other believers. Onesimus is a man who cared about himself. That's why he ran away from his master. But this man who cared about himself was saved by God and made to care about and love God and his people. And that's what drives Onesimus to come back to the church. That kind of love that has transformed Onesimus and is in Onesimus' life is also shown, we see secondly, in the greetings in verses 10 to 17. We see that mutual love and concern in the church most clearly in these next verses. First, Paul passes on greetings from his co-workers, And then he turns to his own greetings. And especially in this last section, when he's telling them his own greetings, he gives the Colossians an opportunity to share in his ministry and to encourage others. Each one of these greetings that you read here are heartfelt greetings. Each one. Remember how often Paul expresses his own 
deep love and concern for other believers. Again, go back to the beginning of the book. Look at Paul's praises and prayers. He says he gives constant thanksgiving. He's constantly praising God. He's constantly praising, praying for these believers whom he has never, ever met. Each one of these co-workers listed here shares Paul's deep love for the church. Now, first, there are the Jewish Christians who are helping Paul, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice. Aristarchus shared in Paul's later ministry. And Paul says, he's now a fellow prisoner with me. He's in jail right next to me, suffering for the gospel and suffering for the church. It's part of the way he's showing his love is being willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. You may remember Mark from the book of Acts. He's a story in himself. Do you remember that he abandoned Paul? He left Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And yet here he is again, serving with Paul, a restored, faithful worker. And as Paul says here, he is even someone who may come to visit the Colossians and to encourage them soon. Notice the love now that Mark has for the church. Each one of these three men is particularly encouraging to Paul because Paul says they're the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Men on the circumcision means Jewish Christians. And Paul's encouraged by these three men because, in part, they share his own background, right? They're Jews, just like Paul. But Paul's probably more encouraged by them because many, many Jews rejected the gospel and even attacked Paul and other believers. But each of these three Jewish men here has wholeheartedly committed himself to working for the kingdom of God at great personal cost. Paul values their work. He values their work alongside him for the kingdom of God. They've been spreading the gospel and building up saints and comforting Paul in his difficulties. Now, in this entire list, I think the person who stands out most is Epaphras. Paul has actually mentioned him already as the man who brought the gospel to the city of Colossae. He said that in chapter 1. And even though Epaphras is now far away with Paul in Rome, he continues to lovingly minister to the Colossians through his prayers. Notice what Paul says. He says, Epaphras, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. This is what he's describing. He says, he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras, though far away, is showing his deep love and concern for the Colossians by praying for them. And the way Paul describes it here, it's not just a simple one-off kind of prayer. No, Epaphras is struggling in prayer for the Colossians. That's the same word that Paul has used to describe his own ministry, a great struggle. Think about prayer, prayer for one another. What Epaphras is doing, prayer is hard work. Prayer for one another is hard work. It's a spiritual discipline, right? It requires work and effort and focus. But most of all, it is hard because it takes love and it takes faith. We, as we pray for one another, are pleading in faith with our all-powerful God to work for those that he saved and that he's joined us to. That's what we're doing in prayer. Epaphras struggles for the Colossians in prayer with a very specific goal. 
Epaphras prays that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Notice Epaphras is praying for two things. He's praying for maturity and he's praying for assurance. I'm sure Epaphras prayed very specific prayers for the Colossians and for their needs. The the dangers they were facing from false teachers, for example, would have been on his mind. But behind every one of Epaphras' very specific prayers was the end goal, the end goal of maturity and assurance that they would grow up into Christ, like what Paul describes in Ephesians 4, growing up together into Christ, and that they would also have assurance that they would know and believe all the will of God, all that he said, and all that he's commanded. We often pray with short-term goals in mind. At least I find myself doing that. Heal so-and-so, or or help me with this sin, or, or this problem. And these are good and godly prayers because we're meant to bring everything to God in prayer. But we should also continue to pray with the ultimate goal of maturity and assurance in mind. Really, the ultimate goal of being like Christ. When when we're praying for healing, for instance, we can pray for God to give spiritual growth and assurance of his promises to the person who's suffering but also for God to give those very same things to the church as we support one another in suffering. See how that changes our prayers. We're praying for healing, yes, but we're praying for God's greater work, His greater goals in our life. We are keeping the end goal in mind because we know what it is, and we are praying according to God's will. The love and concern that Epaphras shows for the Colossians in his private prayers is actually matched by the love and concern he's shown in his public ministry. Paul says in verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has worked very hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. Epaphras is miles away from them now. But even though he isn't preaching to them or counseling them or caring for them like he used to do, he continues to serve them and those other believers in prayer. Sometimes we say out of sight, out of mind, right? And we know what that means. When we've left friends or family or a place, tend to forget about it. It's not on the top of our mind anymore. That's not true in the church, or at least it shouldn't be. Epaphras here helps us to see that that is true. That actually, even though we may be far away from people or we haven't seen them in a long time, we are still used by God in their lives as we minister to them in prayer. I I would encourage us, each one of us, to continue to pray faithful and deeply for individual believers and churches from your past and also in our area and around the world. Think about people and churches that you can pray for, people that you knew in the past, churches where you served or that ministered to you. Keep them In your prayers, God is still using you even if you aren't in close contact with them anymore. I said Epaphras stands out on this list of greetings. We've seen it. He stands out for all the right reasons. He has a deep love and concern for the Colossians that has lived out in his continual prayers for them. But Demas, in verse 14, he stands out for all the wrong reasons. And he has a warning to us as we think about what life in the church looks like. We meet Demas later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and things have changed dramatically. 
Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was one of Paul's trusted co-workers who served Christ in his church. And yet we see that Demas' love for Christ and his church didn't last. Not everyone who expresses love for Christ and his church is a, is a true believer. We've seen that in our own day, haven't we? Prominent pastors leaving the faith. You don't even have to look at the higher-ups. You can see, you can think of people in your own life who you know who have just walked away from the church and from their faith. This saddens us. It should sadden us, but it shouldn't surprise us because true faith is persevering faith. God makes us last until the end. But we see in Demas the real problem here because the problem is the heart. Demas and others on this list, they served faithfully for many years in probably more difficult circumstances than any of us have. And outwardly, they looked the same. They talked the same. They served in the same ways. But deep in Demas's heart, was a love for the world and not for Christ and his church. And Demas finally showed what he actually loved. It'll it'll come out at some point what you really love. If you really love Christ and his body, or if you love yourself or the world. That's a warning for us. A warning to examine our own hearts to see what is really there. But an encouragement also, because Demas, out of all these people, Demas is the only one that falls away. These other men, these other men who are suffering for Christ and suffering for his church are faithful to the end. Now, as as Paul moves into his final section of greetings in verses 15 to 17, this is now where he's speaking directly to the Colossians. He's passing on his greetings and he gets the Colossians involved, right? He's now telling them what to do. He says, for instance, greet the believers in Laodicea for me. Verse 15, or, or share the letters from those two churches that they've received from Paul. Verse 16, and also Colossians, um, encourage your pastor, Archippus. Verse 17 as well. In each case, Paul is giving the Colossians a chance to show love and concern for other believers. The Colossians are being involved in ministering to other believers. Now, they don't just have to stop with the words that Paul says here. This is just an encouragement for them, a way to get them involved. But Paul, this love and concern that they're showing is supposed to continue in the body of Christ. But we also see the love and concern really specifically in Paul's ministry to the Colossians. We've seen it through the whole whole book, really, as he's been teaching them and showing his love. But we see it third and finally, very clearly in the closing of the letter in verse 18. In this final verse of the letter, Paul reminds the Colossians of his love for them and a way that they can show their love for him as well. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is like Paul's signature to show the Colossians that the letter is genuine, but he's not wasting words here. Paul is reminding the Colossians again of how much he loves and cares for them. Again, I said it's been true all the way through the letter. You've seen his concern for them to call them back to Christ. Do not go to these false teachers, but come back to Christ. But as Paul closes, he actually reminds the Colossians of how they can show their love for him, not just for other believers, so that's good, but also for Paul. He says, remember my chains. 
His request is short and powerful. Remember my suffering in prison before God in prayer. That's what remembering in the Bible means. You can look at Philippians, another one of Paul's prayers, that in his remembrance of you, he immediately turns to praise and to prayer. Remembering Paul does not just mean thinking about Paul or, or sending him good thoughts or something like that. No. Remembering Paul means praying for Paul in prison. You know, the most important words of the verse are actually the last ones. Paul writes, Grace be with you. Paul, as he closes this letter, is closing with a blessing. He is blessing the Colossians. He is asking for God's grace, God's undeserved favor, to continue to rest on the Colossian believers. Grace frames this entire letter. Paul started with this, Colossians 1-2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And this is how he ends, grace be with you. God's grace frames this letter because God's grace is the foundation for the entire letter. Just walk with me through the letter for a minute. It is by God's grace that the Colossians have been saved and strengthened. That's how he had started out. It's by God's grace, actually, that Jesus has reconciled all of creation and all of his people to himself in his death. It's God's grace that Christ now dwells with his people. Think about the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2. It's God's grace that has enabled Paul to suffer in his ministry for the Colossians. And it's by God's grace that they now know the truth and can resist false teaching. Look at chapter 2. And it's also by God's grace and God's grace alone that their lives are now transformed. They're able to kill sin and they're able to live lives that are pleasing to God. This entire letter, every section of teaching, every section of application rests on God's grace. Think about what Paul is doing. He is preaching and applying the gospel all the way through. And the gospel is the message that our holy God is gracious to sinners. He is gracious to you and to me. We deserve, we deserve God's wrath for our sins. But God freely, graciously forgives us, saves us, unites us and works in us all in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. God's grace is at the heart of this letter. As we close, I want to think of two pieces of application. One is just a question. Do you feel this kind of love for other Christians? Do you feel the kind of love that's on full display here in this passage? It's really important to ask that question. You know, often we struggle with that kind of love, but it's there. And that's an encouragement. If you do love your fellow believers, that should be an encouragement of your salvation and being in Christ. So often we need to grow in that. We'll look at that in a minute. But, you know, for others, when they hear that question, maybe it's even some who are here this morning, you may not be able to actually relate to the love that's shown in that passage. I read from Apostle John at the beginning of this sermon. He says, if you don't love God, you will not love other believers. It's not possible. You may come to church. You may even be very involved. We saw Demas. But that is not the same as loving God and loving his people. And if this is you, God is giving you an opportunity this morning. He's giving you an opportunity to respond in repentance 
and in faith to his great love for you that is shown in Jesus Christ. I said we'd look at what it means to show this kind of love, and that's where we're going to end. What does it mean to show this kind of love? I'm going to give you a few ideas as we try to grow together. Start in your own heart. Start in your own heart first. Any kind of work that we do has to come from the heart. Pray for God. Take time out of your day to pray for God to give you His love, His own love for His own people right here. Okay? Start with your own heart. Look at your own heart. Confess your sins. Pray for God's love. Start in your own heart and start right here in our church at PRPC. Pray for one another. Be like Epaphras. Struggle in prayer for one another. I have found so often that praying for one another deepens our love for one another. And don't just stop with praying. Look for opportunities to serve and encourage one another. I have been encouraged as I've seen this body do those very same things. Grow in that. But also, have and show love and concern for other churches. Other believers, we have great opportunities around us. Let's just think about the local OPC churches, for example. There's Reformation in Virginia Beach, All Saints in Suffolk, and we have Knox and West Creek up in Richmond. Those churches are not very far away from us. And those churches are a blessing to have around us. Pray for them. Serve with them. Ask how they're doing so you can support them. You don't even have to just stop with those churches. But that's a good start. Or even, you don't even have to stop with the OPC. All believers and all faithful churches are in view here. And as we think about ways that we can show this kind of love, it could be as broad as praying something like, I pray for all the believers in China. Or it could be as specific as praying for the preaching of Octavius Delphi's in Port-au-Prince, Haiti today. So the whole gamut runs everything, and it's not just prayer. Think of ways that we can serve them. We can send money, but we can also be present and encourage one another in the wider body of Christ. Showing this love, showing this love is a mark of being a believer. It's a mark of the body of Christ. And the point is that God's love is what drives us to do this not just drives us like it's some kind of thing we have to do. No, it's something we want to do because God's love produces our love for his people. And our love for believers here and around the world is shown in concrete ways. Again, we love because he first loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book of Colossians. We thank you that these are the words that we need to hear now. We thank you that we can see the love of your church from these men that are listed here. And Lord, we know it doesn't stop with them, but all believers, each one of us is called to love you and to love our neighbor and especially to love those in the body of Christ. We thank you that you have united us together and you've given us hearts that want to do that and are able to love one another, and you've given us hands that are able to serve one another. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in those ways. Help us to grow in the love for our our local body here, for the churches around us, 
and actually for believers all around the world because we are one body of Christ. We are one church. Lord, even as we look at the love that we have for other believers now, we are looking forward to a day when we're all going to be together with you in heaven where perfect love and perfect unity will be on full display. We pray that you would bring that day soon. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.